everybody. Brent is at a loss for words, but he is in the room with me. Hey, Brent, you okay? Uh, no, no, I'm not. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Hey, uh, what episode are we today? 59. We are here at episode 59 of AB Testing. Welcome, the three, and welcome, new listeners, and welcome, all. We're an inclusive podcast. Don't you yeah, think? I do. So uh, I was in, shoot, was it just last week? I spent all of last week in beautiful Copenhagen. I am so jealous. I blogged about it. I, Although I was in beautiful Copenhagen, I spent most of the time indoors. The full story is on my blog, plug, plug. But uh, we have an R&D training week, and I attended. I haven't written C++ code in a long time, and that the assignment was C++, and I wrote a lot of code. And... Damn it if I wasn't going to work till 9 or 10 at night every night making sure I could finish the assignment to prove that I knew what I was doing. I was <laughs> successful. I wrote code that solved the assignment and did it very quickly using multi-threaded code and all kinds of goodness. And then when I looked back at the code after I was done, I realized I wrote some of the crappiest code of my life. That worked. <laughs> so uh, I lost sight of the goal. Like maybe the goal was to finish it and learn. And I got the meta, the meta winnings out of it. I learned a lot how the Unity engine worked, and I was able to make it work. Uh, and if I want to be optimistic about it, I'll say I wrote a prototype. If I were to do the whole exercise again, I would focus more on writing a lot of tests up front and and uh, doing more of a minimum viable product approach like I, like I normally want to do, but I'm normally not programming something in a... It wasn't a competitive atmosphere, yet it was... There were 15 of us and I didn't, I wanted, there were some people that knew what they were doing and they were getting ahead of me and I wanted to catch up. I, I, was, <laughs> I was actually just taking your whole thing and thinking of it as a uh, analogy for why waterfall sucks <laughs> and, and why uh, the, the scrum sprint model sucks. Because uh, what you just described is exactly the code I see over and over again when someone's given yeah. something with a deadline yeah. that that doesn't include. So maybe the difference is that I looked back at my code and said, holy crap, this is shit. And a lot of people just go, hey, it works. Ship it. Right. <laughs> now, uh, but, but there was yeah. more to this. Um, the point I wanted to get to, uh, you can read all about that on my blog. It was a fun exercise. I'm glad I did it. Uh, very educational for me. I feel like I know so much more about the engine side. I focus on services as part of my job. So it's good to figure out how that works. I went through one of the uh, tutorials in preparation for this, um, to build this tanks game and just amazing what unity can do. i never, it's, I know I'm just scratching the surface. There's an amazing amount of stuff. But the point was that I, in this weird world of today, I sound, that sounds like the intro to a bad tech article. In today's modern world of engineering. It's like, shut up. I posted the blog and my blog uh, sends little ticklers to Twitter and to LinkedIn. And of course, all the replies to my blog post are on LinkedIn. Because that's the way the world works today. And what? Yeah. So <laughs> there are no replies to my blog post on my blog site. But because when I post to my right. blog, it posts a little tickler to LinkedIn, people replied and discussed it there. And then 
uh, I'm going to make a long story longer. There was a discussion about whether developers could test their code. And I said, sure, well, developers can test their code as long as they want to remain employed. Uh, <laughs> and so I said, well, somebody came in and, and for lack of better word, and I am a, a, a white male, so the last person that can really use this verb, but someone mansplained to me that what I was talking about wasn't testing, it was checking. Oh my God. And what developers do with their code is checking. And so- Wait, 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 <laughs> wait. I, be, I know where you're going. No, no, you don't. No, you don't. I, well, I don't know where you're going, but but I already have a, a, a rant sort of built up in my head or a suggestion. So before you add too many of these things, I'm old. Let's close one out. All right. What do you think would have happened in so in in this assignment? You said it was an assignment. Okay? Correct. I want to change that game. So the game, the game I'm going to propose is whatever you, your feature or whatever problem you had to solve, winner of the game is going to be defined by who first wrote the first code. Okay, but the game works this way: the assignment as you've defined it, the, uh, as it was laid out to you, whatever the heck it was, write this solution in C++. But you tell everybody up front. This is due tomorrow. We're not going to tell you the next phase, but the, this competition is two parts. Tomorrow, everybody's name's going to go in a hat, and everyone's going to get a new feature, and you're going to have to add that new feature to the person's code who you draw from the hat. Okay. So The winner is going to be assigned to the person who first wrote the code. That may work in a different scenario. What would it have done last week? This whole pro the meta points I got out of it, which was grepping through all the code to learn how the engine worked, my hunch is that is the true goal of this. Yeah, I don't care. I do because uh, it was, nope. I don't want to get too much in the details, but the uh, the assignment really was to one, write a component that will take that will put an action on any game object in the game. It's a, it write a component that you can apply to any uh, Unity game object and have it do this thing. Uh, again, don't want to give away details in case Unity people are coming up. And then that one supposed to test it with uh, like ten thousand objects, and my time and the time was for all of us right around eight hundred milliseconds. Um, uh, fast, but not game fast. So the idea was then is to multi-thread this using a job system much like thread pools, actually almost exactly like thread pools on Windows, but cross-platform uh, for threading. Uh, use this job, learn how to use this brand new job system. Not documented, but very well documented in header files, not documented in, in words and examples. Yep. Uh, so in doing that, in learning how to use this, the first part was fairly easy, just doing some math. Pretty much everyone had that done the first day. Uh, the next day's assignment and the next couple days, we, we, had we would have classes in the morning about all kinds of different stuff, but the was to continue to iterate and refine this using this job system to, uh, one, to really, the goal was to learn the job system, maybe with the primary goal, maybe secondary, with the uh, with the parallel goal, I'll say, of learning how the engine works by having to grep through all kinds of code to figure out how what you're doing works. I get that. In, in I, and I also get where you're coming from. Yes. It, I think it teaches code maintenance and writing code to be maintainable. 
if you have to build on top of somebody else's code. If you knew... It's a different exercise. If you knew, and, and I get that, I'm, I'm just trying to, like, I'm trying to address the, the, you solve the problem, screw you devs, I can write C++ too, get that, uh, pat yourself on the back, but the, the, it's not anything that you would check in, it's not anything that you were right. proud of. So what I'm trying to think through is, how do we change the system such that you would have naturally said, no, I'm not done until I know that the next guy that's picking up my code is going to be able to move forward. So ask me a different question. Ask me how I would improve the exercise for future people taking it. Hey, Alan, I have a spontaneous <laughs> question for you. You are so damn smart, Brent. Yeah. Ask me anything you want. Anything? Yes. Anything? Whatever comes to mind. How about, how would you improve this exercise in the future? Well, thanks, Brent, for asking. It's something I've pondered just a little bit. I think I spent a little bit too much, and some of this is worth it. I think if you've done any amount of coding, grepping around the internet and trying to find little samples of how to do things, there's some, there's some learning in that that goes beyond just coming up with the right solution. So, But I feel like there was a little bit too much of that head banging against the wall, not sure how this to work. I would have loved a little bit more documentation to accelerate, still make you dig around a lot, but or at least examples of other code doing something similar. So you could, I could still have that learning of grepping around the system, but made a little bit more progress. And I would have loved if the goal was to, at the end, uh, your code is ready for check-in, meaning not only is it complete and, you're, and, you, and you think it's like ready to be reviewed, but it has tests written for it and you feel like it's robust and solid and everything's done for it. We had a couple tests that were written for us as part of the framework and we could have added to that. I never got to that. I could have written them first, then I wouldn't have finished, but I I would have loved to, given my background, written a whole bunch of really great unit and integration tests for this component to prove its reliability, to prove its performance, along with being code that, like, I feel like this is code that really, really works, but I couldn't get there. And actually, only a few people got to that stage where it was, in fact, they didn't even get any tests done. Nobody, I don't know if anybody that had, actually, there were two people that were who work on the engine full-time who maybe got some more tests written. Uh, and had a working and had a working component. Yep. Uh, but I think it would have been better if the goal was to get like, and that would have been more of a Unity developer workflow. Let's get how to get something ready to check in. Go through a couple real code reviews to see what kind of feedback you would give or get, and how you'd react to those. Uh, learn from each other's uh, tests that they wrote. Uh, some things like that. So. We didn't get to those because there was there was too much headbanging in just figuring out how to make the thing work. That, yeah, so essentially because you got uh, knee-deep in an infinite onion-peeling exercise, um, you couldn't really move forward until you completed the onion-peeling exercise, and you made a trade-off between onion-peeling right. and, and TDD. Now the question is, and this is a common thing with TDD, like TDD is intended to help you onion peel at the yeah, same time, right? And but when you when you add in this time pressure, and you don't add in a requirement that when once you submit this, yeah. this is no longer your code. Um, 
And, it encourages this behavior. That's that's my and, and to be fair, there was no some people, many people didn't even finish. And there was no like uh belittling of that. Uh the pressure I put the pressure put on me to complete this thing and have it work was entirely put upon me by me. It was purely for my ego to show I could write I could still write C++ code and I wasn't just some lame QA director guy showing up to hang out. Yeah, but here's the here's the real secret. What do you what do you actually think is the difference in your mentality here versus 80% of every actual developer engineer you've yeah. ever met? They want to pr- prove their worth. And I'm saying the square root of nothing. <laughs> it's exactly the same. Now, you know, the, the specific reason why you want to prove it to yourself may be different, right? And, and, and that's actually, in my view, the, one of the roots of the, of the problem uh, around, around this uh, unified engineering model. It, it, in my team, we solve this because everyone's expected to, to be able to work on everyone's pieces of code. And so it forces... Uh, you don't. I don't have to create a gauntlet rules. It forces a normalization and standard of standards. Sure. I'm going to make a statement. Then I want to pop the stack and go back. Yep. Uh, the statement is: I think the exercise succeeded in making us learn a lot more about how the engine works, but failed in making us understand how to be a successful engineer at Unity. Because it 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 didn't go into enough of the things that you really need to do to write quality code. Yeah, it doesn't sound like that second bit was part of their goal. I don't think it was, but I think it should have been. If I were I think it, if I were a director in Unity, I might suggest something <laughs> along those lines. Like, one this of the was reasons, really awesome. I'd like to add another thing to this. One of the reasons I attended as a QA director of services to this thing geared more towards engine people was so that I could understand its relevance for people in our org or where we want, may want to differ. And I talked to our director. Uh, we, have a, we have a director of HR assigned to just engineering. Okay. He's just assigned for engineering growth and HR things. And uh, he's an awesome guy. I talked to him actually even before I started at Unity. And we talked about this exact thing. And it's definitely something on his radar, how to make, how to tweak this training to work across the org. So we'll talk more about that. So popping the stack. Uh, once upon a time, an hour or two ago, uh, was talking about how someone explained to me, person explained to me that what I was talking about in these tests that I wrote for my code weren't really tests they were checking. And then there are the checking testing folks. So Michael Bolton, especially James Bach isn't really involved on Twitter much anymore. Who says, who says that I've never seen a case of someone correcting uh, someone else, you guys are just making this stuff up and I see it all the time. So when I saw this one, I had to document it. So I wrote a tweet for the record. I just saw this blah, blah, blah. And then I have never been in a longer tweet thread that won't go away. So many replies and replies and replies and changes of subjects and examples of defensive testing examples of this thing. And there's a, probably a name for this you can think of, but what's it called when your purpose on Twitter or social media is to just prove that you know more about something than those around you. A lot of that going on. And I will, I fortunately have a do not disturb on it, my phone. It's called bloviate. 
I have a do not disturb window on my phone from 9 p.m. to 6 a.m. where there won't be any buzzes or anything. Right. And I woke up this morning, look at my phone, and I have a little, you know, you have new Twitter notifications. Sometimes there's there's not any, and I don't care. Sometimes there's three or four. Last night, 87 <laughs> overnight. It's like, oh, my God. So the thread won't die. It just goes on and on. That's my checking versus has it, testing. Has story. it breathed its its own life? Or? It's gone in so many different directions. Twitter needs a feature to be able to remove yourself from a thread. Yes. I guess TweetDeck probably has a mute or something. Anyway, that's my checking versus testing story. Why don't you reply to the tweet and say, take me off of this tweet thread? Bedlam. Bedlam tweet. <laughs> Hashtag Bedlam. Yeah, I, I'm just like, oh man, the the we've talked about checking and testing before. Like, I do think it's valuable in terms of having to discuss sort of more precisely, like what we're trying to do with with these different efforts. But my goodness, it is absolutely not worth a religious war I, I, in I, any sort. Well, it's obliviating. It's, uh, there is, it's an interesting distinction. And the way I put it, if someone had some long winded thing and says, the way I see it, checking is a blah, blah, blah. And I replied simply saying the way I see it, some of my testing has binary results. <laughs> so I think it's a way for, and I'm not sure if it's uh, uh, maybe it's because I watch testing threads more often, or I think it's really because there's more insecurity among testers that many of them feel the need to express their knowledge. Like, oh, here, let me add, let me tell you what I know because you probably don't know it because I freaking rock. It's like, <laughs> shut up. I, I. So it's an you know, interesting distinction that is not worth bringing up unless the topic is about checking versus testing. Otherwise, shut the hell up. No. (laughs) (laughs) Let's take a break to hear from our sponsor. This episode of AB Testing is brought to you by Cobaton. Remember Cobaton? We talked about them in uh, AB Testing 57. So Cobaton asks this of the three. Is managing internal devices one of the best parts of your job? Doubt it. Check out Cobaton, your complete mobile device lab solution. Cobaton allows you to manage the devices you own. That's right, you can plug in your own devices into Cobaton's network and access the real devices you need. From manual to automation testing, Cobaton empowers developers and testers to build great products faster. One of the things I like about Cobaton is that you can... uh, both run automated tests and connect to these devices and test manually to see how things look and make sure look and feel is what you are planning for. Uh, Manage and access internal and external devices all in one place, allowing you to test on hundreds of devices and configurations. Identify and resolve issues more quickly with automatically created activity logs. Even centralize your testing history to increase collaboration across teams and locations. Cobaton does all of that while minimizing costs and enabling you to get your app to market sooner. Visit Cobaton.com, K-O-B-I-T-O-N.com slash A-B testing to sign up for a free trial and start testing in minutes. 
Uh, I'll post these in the show notes, but I have to tell you, if you are building any sort of mobile solution, you have to be using something like Kobiton to get your job done. Otherwise, you're swinging in the dark. I would have to say like the multiple times where if I had to do browser compat or or device compat, like uh, we've both worked in the device spaces. Right. Yep. With, the, with, with massive internal labs costing not just massive amounts of money in uh, internal costs, but also in real estate, office that space that could have been used for offices. Yeah, and you have to invent whole new um, protocol stack if you want to try to, like each device has a different means by which you try to communicate. It's a real pain in the butt, and you spend... 80% of your effort just putting the infrastructure together. Definitely, I would definitely, if I was in this space today, I would definitely be going and signing up with Cobaton. Awesome. So check it out. Uh, one other non-sponsored advertisement. I'm giving a talk, a keynote at the online testing conference, June 13th and 14th. Uh, not, I'm just on the 13th. I'm 7.15 in the morning. Uh, left coast time, that's 10.15 on the right coast. Do the math if you live elsewhere. And speaking about a subject that uh, came up originally on A-B testing, which is the bazillion different ways you can do technical testing or be a technical tester without writing code. And honestly, what is a non-technical tester? Wouldn't that be what... They would say UI testers are? I, I don't know. I don't know. But on a, a, perhaps... The minimum li- wage kids they hire to <laughs> test games? Maybe. Maybe. Right? Um, uh, yeah. So I'll talk a lot about that and my opinions there. My talks, as you know, are always full of opinions. Uh, I will make sure I have lots of pretty pictures and uh, some stupid things to say because I need to make sure that I can attempt to be engaging even though my audience is virtual and I can't see them. I do so much better. Even as an introvert, I enjoy giving talks, but I find them much easier to do when I can interact with the audience. So these things are always a little bit more difficult, but I will do my best to make it entertaining, fun, and informative. I definitely prefer the presentations where where we just open up. Yeah, interrupt us. Uh, we love interaction. Yeah. Right? Um and but if you take away the ability to sort of read body language, right, uh, so yeah. much of my presentation style is to be able to quickly read a body language and go in a different direction. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, me too. That that's going to be interesting. It's like, all always a challenge. You have no idea if what you're saying is it, you've lost your audience. Like, how do you fix it? I will just try and keep it entertaining. I've seen a lot of, I mean, it's boring enough when you go to an in-person talk and someone is reading slides, but I've seen online presentations the same. That is a snooze fest. I promise I will not read slides. If you see my talks before, I am famous for having about 15 words in my entire 40-minute talk on slides. So uh, plenty of pictures of Brent and, no, maybe not Brent. But there'll be something going on there. So check that out. Uh, online test conference. If I do 
my job. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. All right. All right. One topic we wanted to discuss with our remaining time today is something that's come up uh, directly and indirectly, and it kind of leads a little bit out of our checking versus testing discussion. Yep. But I don't want to call it the feature of testing. Let's talk about what modern testing is. Yeah. So, Brent, what does modern testing mean to you? What is? Let's start with that, and we'll see where it goes. Modern testing at a very high level is essentially what so we we agree that the goal of a of a test team a test asset testing actually uh, this first talk about what I, what I want to talk about there testing the process not testing the discipline so modern testing is testing's role is to accelerate the achievement of shippable um, of ship Shippable quality. Shippable quality. Thank you uh, for correcting my own quote. It's mine now. I took it. Um, so if if testing's role is that acceleration, it's, a, it's, a, it's the getting to shippable quality. Um, in my mind as well, there's, there's a focus around risk reduction. Like testing is like an insurance policy, how much do you invest in it so that you get the the correct amount of payback if something goes awry or, or, or prevention of awry? And then the, the definition of modern, in my mind, is what is different about the opportunities, what's available to us in terms of how software is used and produced in today's world versus um, the world that existed when a lot of these uh, testing dogma were first created, right? The, the, the previous topic lit on checking versus testing, that, that, in my view, comes from that old world. Yeah, a lot of that old world is I think way too prevalent and in many ways detracts from the evolution of testing. There was a discussion we had on our, uh, one of the three Slack channel around this concept of tester as information provider. And it was a great conversation. Thank you three for chipping in on that. I believe that tester as information provider is, uh, I can almost call it passive, but it's a cop-out. It's like when I look at that as the role, the testing activity and role is so much more than that. I don't like the idea of a tester is, here's what I found out. You make the decision. I'm not involved. I just give you the information. I don't like that. But uh, And I it, will actually tell you because I, I am now running a data science team. Okay? And, and you're all of, about information. One of the biggest problems, I interview a lot of data scientists. And I asked them, why are you leaving? There are two big problems. Number one, all I do is reports. That's why I'm leaving my current team, because all I do is reports. Okay. Number two, this is more relevant. I am producing brilliant insights that no one uses. Now, this is very analogous to the test role. Very much so. Like, and if you are producing insights that are not actionable, 
that aren't actionable in a way that is business relevant, no wonder that you're constantly under attack for defending the value of your role. That is what I see in testing all the time, not just with this, is that testers say, well, management doesn't listen to me. And assuming that it's automatically management's fault versus you having the right information, the right argument, the right leadership, the way to influence them. I see way too much of this, oh, it's woe is me, it's not my fault, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And it sounds like sort of the same thing. It's like- it, Oh, it's the same thing. I've had, there was a guy that left my last team at Micro, on Teams at Microsoft because no one would listen to him. This was a principal level lead. It's not no one's listening to you. Yeah, I no, know. It's, your argument is not sufficiently convincing. Like it, there's so many things where like uh, I have seen testers long. Well, you know what? I understand testing and they fall back on the, on this, I forget the name of the bias, but it's, it's, there's definitely a bias here where it is clear that it's a positional uh, argument. It is clear that of the people in the room, I know this topic more than you. So we should be going with my gut, not yours. Yeah. And it, it, it completely ignores the whole system of how a business functions. Absolutely. Right. Well, so what's the consequence of me going with your gut, not mine? Oh, I don't know. I just know. Because the other part with testing in the old world, a, lot, a big part of the testing is – the basis of our argument is essentially a, a, a logical analysis of right versus wrong, not a consequence to the product, a consequence of the business, or a consequence to the customer. And, it, and, and that one is the one I think that's the most important because so long we're spending all of this time defending a customer that we have no actual proof if what we're talking about solves a customer problem or not. Correct. Right? So a big part of a modern world is in testing is you combine an actual customer-driven feedback loop as you go through that testing. This is why we proselytize mm -hmm. the active use of data. Mm -hmm. And even if all you got is surveys, fine. if your management says, oh, I don't care about surveys, then you figure out how to fund and run a survey program within your own test org. Right? The, any test team that validates their ROI six months after ship by, by, see, I told you so, you should have listened to me. I am telling you right now, you are not doing a good job on arguing your ROI. So I could go on and on and on about the defensiveness of testers, but one point I wanted to finish, which I find interesting, it always shuts me up a little bit. In this, uh, this I think this is first mentioned in the Lessons Learned book, uh, that uh, testers provide information. When I say, but there's so much more, I forget that B&B also say that once you're doing any of these other things, you're not doing testing anymore. So they've 
in a way, the, their definition has defended itself as saying testing is this very small thing, but someone in someone who calls himself a tester may do many other things. I find that confusing. I look, I am the quality and testing expert for our organization. Yep. That is, I have to be that, which expands so many other things in information providing or exploration or verification. It's so many other things. So the definitions just diverge from the beginning. So whenever going back to testing versus checking, it diving into that school's dogma is just so it so distracting from what I'm trying to do. So now back on defensiveness, which I see a lot still, and I see it. It's job preservation. It is worried about what's happening next. It's worried about management not listening to me. And I think more testers who feel defensive need to look at another, at, back at themselves more and how they're interacting with the people and the environment they're in than with blaming others for their problems. Yeah, I completely agree. It, it... So as testing evolves... And one thing I like, and I don't want to completely pick on B&B, they say that many people can take on the tester role at any time, including developers, including product owners. So I like the, it's their backward way of saying, yes, the whole team owns quality. The whole team owns quality, and there's going to be people who have different domain expertise. Right, and that's, that's where I see modern testing is, as I described it for my team, as I said, I was the quality and expert, testing expert for our organization. Everyone on my team must be the quality and testing expert for their feature area. It's their expertise. It's, their, it's the depth they bring to the team that brings value to what, what their team is trying to accomplish. They're... Uh, either writing tests, checks, <laughs> they're writing tests, they're doing testing, they're exploring, they're looking at data to figure out how customers are using things to complete that loop, not speculating for their team and coaching and helping others on the team do those same things. Uh-oh, Brent's pulling his hair out, but, yeah, he, doesn't, but I, he doesn't have enough. I, I don't. I've actually, I went with a buzzer blade number four. All right. I think about uh, an old blog post from, from Whitaker where the title of it is All of This Testing is Getting in the Way of Quality. And I don't actually recall what he, he wrote about, but that title was what stuck with me. Right? So all of these things that testing, in my view, self-creates um, I used to have a similar speech on test harnesses. It's one thing that's interesting about the test automation space, that test has created so much language around these components, like this is our logging engine and this is our execution engine. And, and there's, a, there's a degree of specificity that kind of reminds me of the, the fact that the Eskimos have like 80,000 different definitions for ice, right? Whereas you take these sort of OOP definitions and you take it to a dev team, it's, it's just like, whatever. That's just an object that manages a queue. Who cares, right? Checking versus testing. Like, who cares? That, that is the thing that is important for every test team. Who cares? 
It, it's not – it is not me saying I don't care, don't waste my time on this topic. I'm saying if you're holding up this topic as something that's important and you don't know who cares and you don't know why they should care, you need to figure that up before you hold this as an important and, religious and, dogma. And what that means in your relationship to customer quality. And I like that yes. because we forget that. We're so caught up in the activity and proving our value that we're important. And if you make the customer's experience or help make the customer's experience better, you've done your job. I was just about, before I went on, on that rant, I was actually thinking about entering into it. You know what, Alan? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just make your life easier. You, as a director of quality and testing, you're going to say, I don't care anymore. I don't care. You could unit test. You could not. I don't care. But you're going to measure yourselves on the rate at which your team and your code increases CSAT of the customers that are using it as measured by this. And I'm going to do. I'm going to yeah. judge you guys by CSAT over time, over calendar time. You do whatever the hell you want. And I'm willing to bet that you do something along those lines. The right amount of testing will suddenly Absolutely. start happening. I, I think you don't, too many testers focus on. I must do my activity. I must give you information. I must explore. I must do this. I must write an useless automation suite, all this stuff that it's, act, it's, uh, you've seen this before in people that just, they generate a lot of activity, but little value. And I worry that's happening with too many testers. They're generating activity versus value for the customer. Well, no, it's even, it's even worse because they're not associating that activity to value. They hold it as inherently true that this activity is valuable. And then when someone pushes back, they get pissed off and say things like, management doesn't listen to me. Absolutely. Management doesn't listen to you because you're not framing it in a thing that management cares about. Test is, from most management's point of view, test is a cost. Absolutely. That's why I think testing, rather than being these teams of people who are entry level, and one of my rants a few weeks ago was, in fact, I'll mention this in my technical tester thing, is we take what I think, and granted, I only have 25 years of experience in this, but we take the most difficult thing to do, maybe in software engineering, which is to write reliable, good UI automation, and we use that as our entry point for teaching testers how to code. How stupid is that? It quite. So I think the talking about modern testing and the growth of testing, tester testing needs to be this specialist role. Ge specializing generalist, specializing generalist. Yeah. But not an army of newbies thing. If you're hiring a tester, it's like hiring the performance guru to come in on your team. It is a in the way software is shipping today and what we're doing, and, and if you're doing it right, testing. The testing activity is no longer, a testing role, whatever you want to call it, what we need from tomorrow's and today's even uh, testing experts, specializing general, generalizing specialists, is a systemic view. Yes, and not noobs. I think, honestly, you could see testing as this role that is grown into from your good developers. 
Yeah. Which some companies have done. They've moved their good developers into sort of what they call the QA role, quality architect role, and they've actually been a, a true QA I, role. Yeah, I, I actually... I'm off on a tangent, but yep. the growth is not from getting lots of new people in. And this is hard for a chunk of the industry to see because there are a chunk of consultants in the industry that make their living teaching brand new testers some basics about testing. And their world is going away. Yes, very rapidly. We're out of time. I do want to pick this particular topic up and go deeper in the next episode. We'll see if we do that. I mean, this is two weeks ahead planning, and that's anti-AB testing. I was just getting riled up, but you're right. Yeah. There is a whole bunch of other things I think it would be good to go in here and talk about. It may even sponsor, hint, hint, some mailbag requests. Yes. So if there are topics you want to hear about, let us know in a reply to this uh, to the blog post or in one of the three.slack.com. We will pick it up as part of this, what will be a long, continued, and fun discussion. Yes. All right. I am still Alan. And I'm not. And we'll see you next time on A-B Testing. Bye.